Welcome to One the Game, a podcast dedicated to the Premier League, the A-League and more. Today on the show, Black Friday sees rid of Emery, Cruz scores and Vuck fans lose their memory, have Manchester City run out of energy. Uh, boys, we take two tonight. Uh, we've had some technical difficulties on Sunday. Um, some uh, astute listeners might have known that we might have realised that we put out the message to say we were recording yesterday. We were. And we didn't lie. We didn't we lie, did. but uh, the, uh, the audio just didn't uh, come out. Really at all. It's a little bit like the uh, list of VAR decision. Now we thought we'd score a goal. Um, we had to go back to review it. Uh, it took some time and now we're going to score that goal again. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, I'm Colby. I'm joined today by Tommy, Jesse and Damo. Full house. Full house, boys. Uh, how are we all? Hot and sweaty. Been better? Yeah. We're just As the knee, Damo. Sore? Just copped a, uh, a pretty bad futsal loss and it was the first time uh, more than a game of featured in a, in a five-a-side team. And Damo left his kneecap down at Albert Park. <laughs> <laughs> Almost left another bloke down on the on the, the wooden floorboards as well. Yeah, some controversy. Uh, controversy in the Premier League uh, this week too, boys. The big news uh, with Emery out, uh, probably unsurprising to most. Um, but boys, uh, right move at the right time? They're just behind Spurs again at the moment, Arsenal. Behind yeah. the eight ball. I, I thought this was well overdue, to be honest. I thought they probably should have pulled the trigger, I don't know, six months ago, probably 18 months ago. <laughs> so Arsenal were just one point off fifth, eight points off fourth, and 19 points away from first when the board made the call after uh, Unai was uh, in just 78 games as manager. Uh, boys, Emery's first 50 games are pretty comparable to Wenger's last 50. Uh, do you think it's the right decision? Uh, I think they had to do it. We were talking about this last week and I think he, he had to go. Yeah, like I said, I think it's overdue. Like um, some of the um, performances have, have been pretty for, poor and also the results have been poor for, for quite a while now. Like I don't, I don't think they've won in their last eight. Correct me if I'm wrong, boys. Yeah, I mean, it's the old adage, you know, you have to go backwards to go forwards. But in Emery's case, he was just going backwards and uh, there was no, you know, didn't seem to be any plan. And uh I also noted that the Arsenal Supporters Trust, uh, the AST, um, were also saying that they didn't think the board had a plan when they uh, brought Emery in. And there's certainly shades of Moyes 2.0 to this, lads. They really, yeah, the Arsenal Supporters Trust really missed a trick there, Jesse. Oh, they, uh, they, missed, they missed a trick to call themselves the Arsenal Supporters Society, uh, or ask for short. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, boys... Uh, one one stat that I found very interesting about this is uh, Callum Chambers might really be the cursed man. Uh, in 16 and 17, uh, he went to Burrow and uh, Karanka got the sack. Uh, 17, 18, he's back to Arsenal. Wenger's out. Uh, 18, 19, uh, gets loaned to Fulham. Two managers gone. Uh, and in 19, 20, he's back to see Emery out. If I'm the new manager, I'm sending him out on loan straight away. Get rid of it. Get <laughs> rid. He's a bit like Jordan Ayew, how every, every club that he went to, I think was three in a row, all got relegated. Are you kidding me? Uh, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on the, the shortlist gulps? I mean, um, Samuelo, Alatacino. 
Samuel um, Aladici uh, could could be in line, Jesse. <laughs> Uh, yeah, look, we've we've heard some we've heard some names thrown around, but it looks like it is going to be uh, Freddie Lundberg for the time being, um, with a review likely at the end of the season. When I think, I, I guess the board figure that there'll be more um, managers available permanently at that time. Surely they're just going to wait uh, for the first eight games, which is they're just going to get a fantastic uh, new manager bounce, and then they're going to appoint him, and then as soon as he's appointed full time, uh, they're going to completely drop off a cliff in terms of form, right? Solskjaer style. Still at the wheel, though. <laughs> Just a quick question. Now that Lundberg is at Arsenal, is he now the best-looking manager in the Premier League? Well, uh, Chicha Sanchez Flores is out too, so I'd say, yeah, <laughs> Lundberg's probably right up there because uh, that, that was the only uh, manager who I think would have taken him close. Put some respect on Marco Silva's name. <laughs> <laughs> and, boys, that just does take us to the next question. Who do you think is going to be the next manager to go? Well, didn't – oh, yeah, well, you just said Flores is gone. Who – Ooh, how many beers have we got? <laughs> <laughs> just opening cans for fun. Well, it's I think just, Mar- there's just ten beers just queued up here, just all waiting to be drunk now. I think you just mentioned Marco Silva. He's probably next, isn't he? Next he, in line to go. He's got to be. I think um, Pellegrini and West Ham winning on the weekend is a is a big win. Bit of a buffer, isn't it? Yeah, and and not only that, but um, it kind of showed how ridiculous it was. Some of the, the sort of uh, the pressure that was on him because that win has brought West Ham back up to I think they're now in thirteenth place and kind of showed that. Yeah, look, they they were on a terrible run, terrible run of form, but like the one win and they're straight back up into sort of mid table again. I, I kind of feel like it's the uh, Doctor Evil, Austin Powers. You know, he's got this finger on the trigger, ready to put him to the trap door into the fire. And Silver's just sitting there sweating, beads of sweat going down his face every every game. And last night would be no different. Boys, we better uh, move on with this podcast, otherwise there could be another another manager sacked as we speak. Uh, moments of the week, who wants to kick us off? Don't all jump into ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I uh, obviously uh, was pretty up and about about the Knicks guys. Um, but I have seen uh, something overnight, which uh, I think I missed over the weekend, which I thought was pretty good. It was from the uh, Bayer Leverkusen uh, Twitter account. Um, it's uh, Lewandowski uh, crowing about his, uh, you know, his goals. He said, I, I have to confess I'm addicted to scoring goals. And um, Bayer Leverkusen, uh, they won 2-1 away at Bayern last night. And they said, we can, we can cure that. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and that's uh, good banter. The German accounts have uh, all got very, very good banter, Pati- particularly by Leverkusen. They seem to have a lot of good banter, and uh, they're back at it. They're back. They're back. Damo, what about you, mate? Moment of the week. My moment of the week has to be the Mourinho Spurs ball boy scenario. I loved it. You know the assist that he gave, well, the so-called assist. This happened on Monday last week. All me? right, off oh, yep. Looking at me strangely. <laughs> um, You're in the raised eyebrow. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen the video of the ball boy quick, quick thinking, throws it to Kane who then threw the ball in and the rest was history. But Mourinho went and gave him a big hug and he invited him to the club lunch and everything after that. Is that sort of total club commitment to, to the cause that really gets teams across the line <laughs> these days, isn't it? I love it. Spurs need all the help they can get, boys. Tommy, what about you, moment of the week? Yeah, I've got a few this week. Uh, look, first up, uh, originally this was this one was a little bit more, a little bit sort of uh, better time-wise. But uh, last night, uh, my old, my alma mater, uh, University of Wollongong, played off in the uh, the final of the University World Cup against uh, Uruguay's uh, Universidad de la República, uh, and uh, went. <laughs> And went down uh, unfortunately in the last five minutes of, of additional time, but yeah, what, what a what a moment for for my old university to make it into the to the the gold medal playoff for um, yeah literally the university world cup. The other one was uh, the that moment. Um, Tommy, how how did uh, UOW go when when you were playing for them? 
Uh, we've got uh, a silver medal and a bronze medal. So World Cup. Uh, second division Australian University game. <laughs> oh, there it is. There it is. Uh, I have to admit, Tommy, I, I was actually going to have this as my moment of the week just to troll you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I would have been so triggered. Uh, look, my other one, though, was uh, going to be uh, that moment between uh, David Martin, the son of West Ham legend, Alvin Martin. Uh, he came on uh, for his West Ham debut. He's also his Premier League debut at 33 years old. Uh, he managed to keep a clean sheet for, for West Ham uh, in none other match than against West Ham's one of, one of the biggest rivals, uh, Chelsea. He uh, yeah, kept a clean sheet and then at the end of the match pretty much just broke down into tears. He's, he's then gone off and uh, embraced his father and just a really nice nice moment. Um, obviously, great result for West Ham too. So everyone really enjoyed that one. What a moment. Um, look, boys, my moment of the week, or one of them at least, is a uh, friend of the pod, Sapreet Singh. Uh, our boy. Uh, and you get him on, don't we? <laughs> get, getting promoted to the Bayern first team. Uh, so Hansi Flick, uh, who took over from Niko Kovac as uh, Bayern manager earlier in the month, has made it clear that he wants to start leaning into Bayern's youth squad. Um, and so he's promoted Sarpreet along with uh, four others from – or three others from the youth setup uh, to the first team. So, you know, he's gone from being a half-decent player at Wellington to, you know, making his way through the reserves. And, and now he's in the first team and, um, you know, having interviews with uh, with Build and uh, – just steady progression. That's how the next uh, churn out of the academy. Um, but I think uh, you'll find that he's singing in the Rhine now, Colt. <laughs> That's good from you. <laughs> Definitely good from you, Jesse. Boys, my other moment of the week before we go on is uh, Ange Postacoglu. Uh, he's on the brink of being the first Australian manager to win the J-League. Um, so going into the second last day of the J-League season, um, Ange's Yokohama F Marinos uh, needed to win away at Kawasaki to keep their very tight lead at the top of the J-League table. Um, they did win that game uh, and the other result went that way with uh, FC Tokyo dropping points uh, in a draw um, with Uroa Red Diamonds. Uh, this leaves Yokohama three points off FC Tokyo, who they'll face in the last day of the season. So, just just a quick shout out to um, uh, J League uh, football correspondent, both home and away, uh, Damo. Um, He's here today, boys. He's it's, here uh, today. It's just... Damo's pretty much given me that whole script <laughs> in, in in our group chat, and I've basically just screenshotted it and read it out to the boys. And also, Jesse, you don't need to shout out because he's right next to you, mate. <laughs> I think a shout out wherever it's due, mate. And um, I will say that you know not all heroes were capes. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, absolute moment for, for Ange. I mean, basically, he's got the title unless he happens to lose by more than four goals on the last day of the season. So, I mean, fingers and toes crossed for him. But, um, boys, yeah, we're, he's not our futsal team, so it's pretty safe, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's not talk about that. Uh, but what do you think Ange's ceiling is? Boys, where does he go from here? I don't know. I think he'd like to test himself in Europe because, obviously, he went there years ago in the Greek second division I was or, gonna say Greece or something like that. And it didn't really work out for him. And that was when he came back to the raw after that gig. So I think he'd love to go back to Europe and, you know, I, I would think that a club like Celtic or, you know, a big club in a little bit of a smaller league, a club in the championship, maybe that he can, you know, work in progress. Would I reckon be we could win him. the league with Celtic though, boys. <laughs> I don't think that's a challenge enough for him. Yeah, but he, he could go to Aberdeen and, and and sort of prove himself there, and and then go on to you know be one twenty five years at a big club yeah. or something like that. Uh, stuff, okay. that stuff that football manager dreams are made of. All right, boys, what stood out for you in the wrong way this week, Damo? Uh, I'm going to jump the gun and talk about Sheffield United already. You pause me impressed. Here he is. <laughs> that's good because they're not on the run sheet. I want I want an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Get it out early. I want an opinion on whether you think the Wolves' goal was offside or not. It's, uh, it's, I think it's a bit of a debate. Talk us through it. Well, it's played in from the fullback to Jimenez. It was, it was offside. 
But the ball came off Ender Stevens, who played at the ball, and then it fell to Jimenez's feet, who crossed it in and Doherty headed in at the far post. Does that mean it's definitely not offside then? Well, I consider him offside. Thanks for walking us through it. I consider him offside. I'll post a video of it on our Twitter. You guys can be the judge. (laughs) Wow. Look out for that. Uh, that, that one, uh, boy, <laughs> spicy. Jeez, I don't know how we got so facetious. Um, I know we lost our f- football game today, but uh, let's cheer up, boys. We're on, we're on edge here. Uh, Jesse, own goal this week, mate. Didn't really have one, to be honest, uh, Cole, because it was a really good week in the uh, football uh, sphere. But I, I will say that uh, Adrian uh, trying to get his wall in shape and then having Dunk just slip it past him into the far post has to be a pretty big own goal. That was that was a futsal goal, if ever I've seen one, just passing it into the net. Uh, and my own goal, um, Tommy, actually involves you last week at our, our futsal game because uh, you missed half the game because you were having a kickabout with some Italian blokes uh, and lost track of time. <laughs> yeah, and even then it was, it was half time and our goalkeeper ran down and was like, Tommy, it's half time. <laughs> and I'm like, well, shit, it is. Probably is, isn't it? Uh, boys, just before we do get on to the A-League, we've got a quick listen to question from Paul Hughes. Uh, your thoughts on the Euro draw from last night. Jesse, why don't we kick off with you? I know you've got a few. I mean, friend of the pod, Paul Hughes, puts not respect his name. Um, yeah, absolute pool of death and, and, and group F. Um, F for fuck, basically, because um, <laughs> if you're in that group, uh, which Portugal is, unfortunately, um, France, Germany, Portugal, and then the, uh, the fourth team gets the chance to play France, Germany, and Portugal. So... Um, it's going to be an uh, absolute pool of death. A bit of a, sh- a bit of a shame, depending which way you look at it, but a bit of a shame for the, the tournament because um, I think they have to play against England, Croatia, depending which side of the draw. So anyway, there's going to be some heavyweights knocked out really early. So I suppose, you know, if you're romantic and you want to see um, some of the other teams that qualified early, um, Ukraine and Poland and those other teams, if they might go a little further into the tournament than expected, but we will see some big names knocked out early. Yeah, England Croatia was a was a pretty tasty looking group for me as well, and I'd be very interested to see after the Great World Cup that both of those teams had, um, you know, uh, what their level really is. You know, were those were those just a purple patch like a really great tournament? Are they going to both revert to what we understand as the mean for those two teams, or are they going to kick on and be uh, sort of going really deep into the competition? Well, I think England are the bookies' favourites already to win Euro. So, well, it's basically a home Euros for them, isn't it? <laughs> if they make it to the semis. Could be. Uh, boys, round eight of the A-League coming up. Plenty to go for here for Traore. All the way through. Naboot is lurking. Cruz has his first A-League goal since 2011. And this front three for the victory is so, so talented. Look at them. Toivonen, Cruz and Naboot. It is a lethal trio. What a relief for Marco Kurtz. A win in the milestone game for Lee Broxon. Game number 300 celebrated in style. Yes, and the victory got back to winning ways against Poppers Perth with Robbie Cruz scoring his first goal since returning to the A-League. So, boys, Cruz gets that tap in and uh, Vuck fans, uh, particularly on soccer Twitter, are starting to starting to uh, believe that he should be called back to the ruse. <laughs> what do we make of this? Is it too early to say that he's cruising for a reason? Or <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't think he's anywhere in line to wear an Australian jersey ever again. He's, he's thirty-one, isn't he? And that's that's pretty much now. Like that means you're done. He's, and he's Robbie Cruz. That's why he's not playing for Australia again. Probably hasn't been good enough for the last four years. So I'll read you out a few choice tweets, boys. Um, John Grimaud on Twitter says, "Does soccer Twitter think Robbie Cruz can't play?" Wait until he gets some match fitness. Shush emoji at the sheep emoji without a clue. Thoughts? 
What's, What's this sh- guy's name again? <laughs> John, What's John Grimaud? I think he's someone in the club. <laughs> What's the sheep emoji? I still don't understand that. I think he's saying that everyone's just following, uh, brainlessly following an opinion and not really like evaluating Robbie Cruz and what he can actually do in the football pitch and they're just mindlessly going along. It's a good analysis of an emoji. That's <laughs> what I'm here for. This is what I bring to the pod. More than an emoji. <laughs> uh, they're conveniently forgetting that, you know, Robbie Cruz is where momentum went to die at the last World Cup and, um, you know, he can find a quarter second of freeway, can't he, Coles? Uh, he, certainly, he certainly found a few of those in green and gold. Uh, and Josh Parrish of FNR reckons Cruz is criminally underrated because the banter boys decide it would be a good gag. Uh, is he underrated? I don't think so. I think he's well rated. He's rated. <laughs> I think he's um, pr- probably just rated by everyone except for Victory fans who overrate him now. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say he's probably overrated now. Um, but anyway, that, that goal from Cruz did come in the first half. And so victory in this game found themselves defending uh, a pretty fluent-looking um, Perth attack um, for much of the rest of the game. And we saw this kind of um, defensive solidity from the victory um, in, in Melbourne Derby. And we've seen it in other games this season out of necessity. But in this game, they did have their sort of a few of those injured players come back. And they, they may not have needed to defend. But is this going to be sort of what we can expect to see from the victory now, boys, in terms of their style of play? One goal and shut up shop. Well, one thing I'd, I'd like to uh, add to that, Cobbs, is do you guys think that having a couple other people up front other than Toivon has really uh, freed it up for them? Like, you know, basically they were just heaving it forward and unless he could hold it up, they basically couldn't seem to get past halfway. So do you think having those other guys back has improved their uh, potency? I mean, yeah, I think that was the, the obvious plan, eh, before the, they both got injured. But, um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it just goes to show how thin some A-League squads are as well. And victory, obviously, go pretty pretty heavy on the front three. And then, you know, there's not a lot of depth in some of these and, and a lot of these squads, given salary cap, et cetera. But. And, and Perth really aren't in the, a purple patch of form, are they? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> No, but they're at, the bo- they're at the bottom of the league and they're a team that everyone expected to be first or second come the end of the year. So they actually haven't been playing well at all. Well, they're actually, no party. they're actually at the bottom of the ladder now um, after uh, the Adelaide-Wellington results. Um, everyone expected Adelaide to steamroll Wellington, including Adelaide, um, who, who looked a bit off the pace as Wellington dominated the first half and then grew back into the game after uh, Wellington went behind to Emilioznich Worldy. Um, to then clinch a pretty deserved, I'd say, come from behind win. Um, Wellington, so who were at the bottom of the table, move up, and now Perth go to the bottom. Um, boys, how good is the A League? Next minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of comments on this, uh, Cobbs. Um, first of all, from a, from a Nick's perspective, um, first of all, uh, welcome Sal to the Wellington Phoenix. Um, it's great to have you on board, mate. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> what happened to the Raw, Sal? Come on, come on. <laughs> no, he's, he's made the best decision of his life. Um, so they, first of all, obviously they actually got a result after that when they got, um, Adelaide got that worldie. I thought, well, it's going to be that same old sort of great performance, but unable to, to get the result. But uh, the other thing that I really liked other than them finally closing out a fixture was um, the style of play, having... Uh, Davila and was it Piscopo or I'm not sure Piscopo? Mm. Yeah, he was fantastic. Having a couple of creative midfielders overloading the box, it's just oh, it's it's fantastic to watch uh, from a Phoenix perspective because we've never seemed to be have those people that can actually hold the ball up and, and ping it around. And we we have been saying um, Jesse that um, the Knicks have been in games this season and they've been going down to a goal. They've looked right in it. Is this a turning point for the for the Knicks now that they've got this one um, good result and they've they've turned the game around? Are the results going to start to flow? Well, I'm interested to see what you guys think from a um, from outside of the club. You know, do you, do you see a big difference in their style of play? Because certainly last night it seems I had a lot more confidence in them retaining possession, which was a big change for them. 
if if you can retain possession in the A League, you you're always a chance. Uh, I guess against almost any team, uh, then it just comes down to putting away your chances, really, doesn't it? I I don't think they've been outclassed a lot in a lot of their games this season. And last night was kind of a, a final product to the football they have been playing. And if they can do that more often, then they might nix a few more points. Yeah, they did. They did really well. <laughs> They did really well to, uh, to to recycle possession. And like you say, Jesse, particularly I, I was impressed by their ability to just hold the ball and be patient with it around the box when um, when Adelaide were actually had their backs to the wall and they were sitting in, the Knicks just, were just waiting and being really patient. And, and that's something um, that, yeah, I'm really impressed with. And if they can keep doing that... Um, they'll they'll keep going better. Um, we saw Hooper uh, for a bit of a cameo. He looked he looked uh, pretty pretty tidy, but uh, he obviously needs some match fitness. But quite, quite you were a physical say, player as well. I, I thought you were going to say that jersey looked a bit tight. I mean, for a guy who's played the vast majority of his career in Scotland and in the Championship, he's going to be a pretty physical player, isn't he? Yeah, he was he was getting getting right amongst it. One, at one point, he just pushed. Um, oh, I forget who it was, um, but he's just like thrown. He ragdolled this guy. It was like it was a game of rugby league. Well, he's got the rig for a rugby player and he's living in the right country. So, does, yeah. Moving on, boys. Uh, Western United will be wooing some poor defending in the first half where two errors led to two Adam LaFondra goals. Uh, Adam LaFondra is now 25 uh, in 36, making him the third highest uh, ever Sydney FC goal scorer behind Babo and uh, Brosk. Uh, boys, uh, what did you make of the performance from Sydney FC in this one? I thought the... the this game really showed that if you've if you've got a a, stop, a a striker who's really on top form and putting away and taking his chances, um, that can be the difference between uh, the teams in in this league because it is a it's such an even league. I mean, anyone from probably third through to um, uh, through to eleventh can can beat anyone on their day. Um, but yeah, those those top two teams, they in McLaren and Lafondre are probably the, by quite some way are the best two strikers in the league, and, and I think that's. Uh, demonstrative in in how their teams are doing, and just just not uh, not their night for the Woo. Two two mistakes led to two goals. I, I think the Woo have relied a lot on their transition from defence to attack this season to create a lot of their chances, and that just hasn't looked like it's been there. They look really slow and lacklustre trying to get forward, and they would kind of just pin back and Connor Payne and Risden on the other side were essentially playing as fullbacks rather than wingbacks, and they had a flat back five. It just Nothing looked like it was working for them going forward, and it's that does, doesn't look very good. The um the late position really flattered the woo actually because I think everyone saw the last twenty minutes and thought, oh, you know, they're so unlucky not to be in the game. But I actually just thought overall that Sydney with the superior team deserved the win. They 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 did a lot more with the ball and they looked more dangerous going forward. And uh, off the field in this game, uh, a, a third of the Travelling Cove um, got kicked out for allegedly standing on the seats. Um, well, what, you can't do that. What, what, have you, what have you made of this, boys? Um, Heavy-handed from the security? I've heard a lot of things about GMHBA Stadium over the weekend, that they closed gates on the other side. They're refusing to let people sit on the, the TV-looking side of the stadium. That's why it looks so empty, just to save costs on cleaning up and on security and... So there's apparently a lot not going well at GMHBA Stadium. And is it time for the Woo to go to Knight Stadium? Uh, yeah, I don't think that's a, a bad shout, to be honest. Um, there, there is, um, I think there's there's two aspects to this. One, like this is just another incident of of uh, stadium operators and security not really um, possibly uh, either understanding sort of some of the football culture. But by the same token, 
um, standing on seats is is one thing that seems to really trigger a lot of the stadium stadium operators. And like it wasn't that long ago that victory fans were getting kicked out by the by the bucket load because they were standing on and, and breaking uh, seats quite deliberately. And so, um, I think um, fans need to work with the stadiums to a certain degree and find out what what are the what are the clear lines in the sand for for fans not to cross and. Um, make that pretty clear. Like, for example, you can stand up, but standing on the seats, yeah, don't do that. And as long as those those are clear, and um, then really, there's sort of there's no there's no room for argument, sort of from both the fans and the, and the stadium operators. And I feel sometimes it comes down to a lot of A League fans like to push the button and like to um, then well, cry wolf when they do something like standing on a seat when they know they're not allowed to, and then cry wolf when they get kicked out, like. You know you're not allowed to stand on a seat. Why are you standing on a seat? It was just like the den, um, you know, uh, late last year when when that whole um, latest stoush happened with stadium security when they were singing fuck the FFA and they got told by security not to do it and they got into a big argument about it, did it anyway, got banned and then just threw the toys out of the pram. Like, uh, you know, they, you've, at some point you've got to just have a bit of common sense. Colps, who do you think showed more discipline, um, the security guards or, or the out-of-context marching band? <laughs> the out of context marching band <laughs> showed some extreme discipline. I didn't know whether I was watching a uh, Panic at the Disco clip from uh, the uh, early two thousands or uh, or the halftime at the Woo. I mean, I don't know if out of context A League vines is a thing, but I mean, after this weekend, surely it's got to be a thing. Did you just say vines? So we're we're all about TikTok, Jesse. Come on, get with it, get with it, get it. What's TikTok? I'm over thirty, guys. Come on. Come <laughs> <in>. <laughs> Oh, boys. Uh, and Newcastle were too good at home for Western Sydney Wanderers, uh, winning 2-0 with Angus Thurgate, opening the scoring and then providing a sweaty FIFA assist for Dimi Petrados to seal the result. Um, Alex from Preston reckons Alex Thurgate will be a future Socceroo, a good version of Robbie Cruz. Your thoughts, boys? I don't think he's really um, the same sort of player as Robbie Cruz, but I think he he, he might um, he's sort of more similar in style, I think, to to Jamie McLaren. I'm not saying that that um, comparison is, is definitely going to lead to the same amount of goals, but um, yeah, like um, the the Socceroos, we've been crying out for a goal scorer for, for the last couple of years, and we've got sort of maybe two at the moment in McLaren and Taggart, but whether or not they're really cut. Uh, going to cut it at an international level still sort of remains to be seen. They've both got uh, – both going to get plenty of uh, opportunities in the next couple of years. But uh, you never know. Um, Thurgate might, with uh, another 12 months of, of, of good uh, performances and goals under his, uh, his belt in the A-League, and he could be knocking on the door. Or he could just make a move to a uh, minor European club and never be heard from again. Referred to as Thurgate. <laughs> That's all right. What, what annoys me about players like Thurgate who've had a couple of good games. Thurgate. Thurgate, sorry. And Al Hassan Torre as well, who is everyone's boy here. Tommy, do you remember that player, Al Hassan Torre? And you who? haven't mentioned him in a few weeks. Who? But what, what annoys me about these kind of players, they have a couple of good games in the A League and everyone says, oh, they're going to play in the Socceroos, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. And I was listening to. Uh, he'd, be a, he'd be a bolter for the next World uh, World Cup squad now, wouldn't he? Hate, After having played like three good games in the A League, I know. Hate respect that on term. the Port Macquarie Pele. People have got to cut their teeth in the youth teams, under twenties, under twenty threes, because international level, the best young players in the world are going to play for their countries at youth level as well. So you're going to come up against them and match yourself against the best young players in the world. That's where you got to prove yourself before you can go from being a 19-year-old that has half a dozen good games in the A-League to playing for the Socceroos because that's when people just fall flat. 
Can I just ask, where do you think the expression to cut one's teeth comes from? You can't go around with any uncut teeth. I'll tell you what, once they get scraggly and they're kind of sort of coming out of your mouth, like you're not fit for a football pitch, to be honest. That's just my There's personal teeth view. going everywhere. <laughs> I'm not sure the segues into the rule game, but I uh, <laughs> <laughs> just think maybe we should uh, head towards that one. Uh, all right, boys. Uh, the Raw found their, just, just their second win of the season uh, over the Mariners at home, thanks to goals from Roy O'Donovan and Scott Neville. Um, Scott Neville talking about teeth. <laughs> <laughs> the man's got teeth. <laughs> um, but it was a bit of creativity and movement from Dylan Wenzel Halls that led to the opening goal um, and, and got the assist. Um, not to mention the amount of shots created and um, chances that he created before that. Um, Jamie Young also got his first start. Damo, was uh, Robbie found his best 11? I don't think he knows what his best 11 is. And I think he's got to toy with it a bit because he's played a lot of players so far that haven't worked out and he needs to change a few things to score some goals. But Dylan Wenzel Halls was brilliant. Um, and as was Jamie Young, but I think he hasn't been playing because he hasn't been fit. I assume he'll play every week from now on, but Dylan Wenzel Halls surely starts next week because of that performance. Do you think from Robbie Fowler's perspective that, uh, Jamie's, uh, value is rising like a three bedroom apartment in Sunnybank? <laughs> Sunnybank. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that value is ever going up. Jesse, did you just Google like rising property uh, locations in Brisbane before you were going to lay on that or did you just pluck that? How do you talk us through it? My brother lives in Sunny Bay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boys. Uh, the, the, and the Raw did look a bit more fluid today. I think they uh, – on the day, I think they tweaked um, their formation a little bit as well. They're playing a 4-3-3, which I think helped with that. Um, but this fixture really isn't what it used to be, is it? Like these two teams used to be at the top of the A-League, uh, one of Brisbane's best ever, if not best ever, grand final. The um, Ange versus uh, Graham Arnie. Arnold days were – when they were the peak of the A-League, two of the best teams in A-League history. Matty Ryan in goal for the Mariners. Master uh, Foods versus Coffee Club. I mean, those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. And Coffee Club aren't even the sponsor of the Roar anymore, Jesse. So uh, that's that's acting here. That's a really good brand cut through. I've honestly not seen a Coffee Club since I lived in Townsville like 10 years ago. <laughs> And um, boys, the other the other thing that stood out from this match is the uh, the, the goal song. The roar of change to uh, Blur Song Two. Isn't it the Woo song? I know. I, I just feel like one of them needs to change it to an Oasis song, and we've got the Oasis Blur rivalry from the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just make it every every team in the A League has to have either Oasis or Blur Song Two, like somewhere in match in the match day experience. Uh, I wouldn't put it past them, uh, boys. All right, before we move on to the Premier League. Uh, Top fan Matt Olsen has uh, requested an update on the more than a game, more than a player, 3-2-1 vote standings. And we're lucky to have our uh, official vote keeper, Damo, here with us today. Uh, mate, talk us through it. Give us a, give us a little update on, on how things stand. Look, I'm not going to give too much away, but uh, I will say there's only two players through round seven of the A-League that have picked up votes in multiple rounds and... I was going to ask, can you guess who? But you guys did this yesterday, so you know I exactly know. No, who it is. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. I am shocked. <laughs> but those two players are Jamie McLaren and Milan Juric from Central Coast. Um, but then there's got five players underneath that that are on level for points in second place. So Jamie McLaren's a fair way clear at the moment, um, and it's everyone trying to catch him. Can you give us any um, any indications, Damo? Any highlights of some of the jokey answers that you've received so far that are, that are polling well? VAR has currently got negative four votes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think they might come last. Do you think if, if the VAR finishes uh, in, in negative votes, that, that's, a, that's a referendum? 
Yes, we have to send it to FFA as an official <laughs> fans official. perspective of VAR. That's the, the fans have spoken. <laughs> More than a fan perspective. Coming up next, match day 14 of the Premier League. Nice from Willems. Almiron. Willems! Oh, what a finish! He has speared that in! Offrey's played it on. Foden. Mendy. Cleared by Dummett. To Bruyne! Oh, that is outstanding! Truly brilliant from Kevin De Bruyne! Atsu. And Shelby! What a retort! What a treat of a goal in front of the Gallagher for Newcastle! And the champions are hauled back again! Could this be the day it got away from the champions? The final score at St James's, Newcastle United 2, Manchester City 2. Yeah, so Newcastle came back twice to hold City to a draw at St. James's Park with cracking goals from Willems, KDB and John Joe Shelby. Uh, City now find themselves 11 points behind Liverpool. Boys, title race over? I think it's way too early to say that. We're only, what is it, 13, 14 games into the season. People are, people are talking. But didn't Liverpool lose a nine-point lead with six games to go only a few years ago? So Yeah, Colby, Jesse, didn't they? <laughs> Yes. I think the, the thing for me is I'm just watching uh, the commentators are definitely running with this uh, big time. I mean, they just can't help themselves. As soon as They're all talking about invincibles already. Yeah, it's just it's completely over the top. Uh, and yeah, that's that's right. So City did find a way back after being 10 points behind at Christmas last year. Um, yeah, uh, boys, has Pep got uh, Liverpool right where he wants them? I think Pep looks nervous, to be honest. And it's kind of the, the vibe I was getting from Pep in his last year at Barcelona where things kind of started falling apart and he didn't really know how to fix it up. A few bored, bored Freudian slips, yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, Damo, I totally agree. And it, it's funny because I said the, the exact same thing yesterday about how this is this is sort of... In this um, very same podcast recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but Damo wasn't here. It's like some sort of weird parallel universe. But um, yeah, so Pep was really sort of struggling in that fi- those final uh, seasons at uh, both Barca and at, uh, and at Bayern. And um, he arguably was in a in a, in a stronger league or a more balanced league, um, and his squad isn't isn't as good at City as it as it was at Bayern and and um, at Barca. So yeah, he's he's really sort of struggling, and and like we're seeing now that um, City are, are saying they're, they're making noises that they're not going to dip into the transfer window in January. But I mean, I bet Pep wants to. But, but it's all right. He'll he'll leave at the end of the season and he'll go to Juventus and he'll win league titles and he's the greatest manager of all time still. Fraud. I, I think the, the great thing, uh, I mean, <laughs> I feel like he's a bit of a poker player really. Like the, the, people are starting to call his bluff now and actually like the, his, obviously his defence at the moment is shaky with a few players out. But What I mean, would Pep's poker outfit be? Like if he was a poker player? He'd have would, aviators. Would he, yeah, would time. he be a Sunnies yeah. guy? Yeah. 
I reckon he would have a really aggressive turtleneck, like one of his flounciest <laughs> autumnal jumpers. What like, do you reckon for saying? He would just be sunglasses. rocking up in a dimly lit little poker den with a real flouncy jumper just to throw people. Sunglasses are choice, maybe some speed dealers. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that going back to the game with Newcastle, I think that we actually seen teams that are calling their bluff and saying, listen, you know, last year what annoyed me um, was that teams would just roll over, you know, here you go, have 90% possession, we're just going to hold off. And then they'd consider going the first 10 minutes and then it was basically game over. We're now seeing teams actually, if they do concede a goal, have a go back at them. And I think we're actually seeing that there are a lot of frailties to the team. And, and Fernandinho playing out of position. I mean, that that goal that they conceded the first one last night, a huge pocket of space, which Fernandinho would usually occupy. And the second goal as well. There's been huge mistakes defensively from City. How are you going to leave John Joe Shelby 25, 30 yards out with a free shot on goal? Everyone knows he can hit a ball and he's scored goals like that before. You can just imagine Pep absolutely losing his mind both like on the touchline and in the dressing rooms after. And if and we know we know that City, um, given their injuries and and having to you know sort of make do with central defensive midfielders in the, in the back line, etc. They've got, so they've got their issues um, in defence. But um, we're also not seeing City squash teams like Newcastle like they ordinarily do. Like some of that swagger and intensity look to be lacking. Um, uh, Newcastle City's new bogey team, or, or what's what's going on? No, I think that's back to Jesse's point. It's like teams that are lower in the league aren't just. You know, sitting back and going, oh, we're not going to beat City. They're taking it to City because they know City have got weak areas and they can exploit them. Whereas last season and the season before, if you tried to do that to City, they would just absolutely thump you. And Pep's known for overthinking a weakness. And one thing they were doing that the commentators just were losing it about is they were just going down the left-hand side of the field. I'd love to see the heat map. It was basically going down Sterling and Silver's side basically the whole game. And Mari's like, what did Mari's have to do to get a touch? It was um, – so the teams uh, defensively are figuring them out. But – um. Uh, can we just have a bit of a shout out to say Maximum for uh, just pure entertainment value? He was running about 30, 40 yards. He was diving over people, flipping. Um, he just, the amount of effort that guy, the, the, the Geordie crowd absolutely loved him. Yes, and, and while, while Pep might be being exposed for being a bit of a bald fraud, one one guy who's not a bald fraud is uh, John Joe Shelby. Uh, is that his best ever goal for Liverpool boys? Yeah, he will now never buy a beer in the city of Liverpool ever again, even though he played for the club for how many years? Oh, it was. He left on unceremonious terms, but now he's a hero. Yeah, he made 40, 40 something appearances, a couple of goals. He went on to have a great career at Hogwarts. <laughs> um, Can we put some respect on uh, Kevin De Bruyne right now? Yeah, go on, Tommy. How bloody good was that goal? It uh, had some shades of Tony Yaboa about it for me. It was a good goal. The control for me was. Just as good as the connection when he hit it. Like, to bring it down from the way he did to set it up like that was, ooh. Such a great technical goal, Tommy. <laughs> I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going <laughs> to buy it. <laughs> Technicality, Tommy. <laughs> uh, boys, but uh, after replacing Rafa uh, as one of the least sexy managerial appointments, uh, Steve Bruce, uh, could, could this not be as bad of a decision as we all thought it was? I still think it's a pretty bad decision. <laughs> I feel like Newcastle fans look at him. It's sort of like the, you know, the in-laws. You, you bring back uh, somebody who's just an accountant, you know, Monday to Friday. He writes detective novels, doesn't he? You know, he, he, does, he'll, he'll, he, writes, he writes detective uh, fiction, like starring himself. Have you not heard about this? I didn't know about yes. this. Yes. He, he seems like he solved a few crimes at, uh, at Newcastle. Like he stars in his own detective novels. You have to look it up. It's, um, uh, it's uh, you know, I haven't read them, but. <laughs> <laughs> I probably won't take the time to read them, to be honest. 
all right. Uh, Liverpool, meanwhile, um, you know, Liverpool actually weren't playing in that game. Um, they, they played their own game against Brighton. Uh, they looked to be cruising to a two-goal lead um, when Alisson had a brain snap, uh, getting sent off after handballing outside the area. Um, Brighton scored from the result, resulting free kick, as we mentioned, um, and, and Liverpool looked like dropping points, but managed to hold on for the win. Um, boys, we're used to seeing Liverpool um, sort of a little bit too comfortable and then getting a, a you know, bloodied nose, get, getting a goal scored against them before they can actually focus on playing football. Um, but this time they actually looked comfortable and then sort of hung on for a lead. Um, what do you make of this performance? I just want to know when Liverpool are going to keep a clean sheet. It's, it's been, what, 11 games now they haven't kept one. It's killing me in fantasy at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to get rid of Alexander-Arnold's. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, I mean, you know, as you've said, Colby, I've been harping on about these December fixtures because, I mean, like all teams, there's a huge amount coming up. But um, I think it's actually – it's quite obvious that it's in the heads of the the players because you, you see it about the 30-minute mark. They just completely took the foot off the trigger, didn't sort of um, press as much as they were, kind of were happy to sort of concede possession. And I think the most worrying thing is that it's, it's, it's all well and good to give possession to the other team and say, listen, we're going to take a foot off the accelerator. But the amount of crosses that uh, Brighton were getting in without any post or, or blocks or anything like that – um, was pretty worrying and it kind of like seemed like a matter of time before Brighton were going to score. So I was actually surprised Dunk had a good chance in the first half that he didn't um, didn't put in the back of the net. Dunk was brilliant for the whole game. He was throwing his body in front of shots and he he's the kind of player that he'll go to a bigger club next season. He just has to. He shines every week as a centre-half at Brighton. Off to Leicester, you reckon? Well, that's a good shout. That's not bad from you, Tommy. Uh, and um, Jesse, you mentioned a busy December from uh, for Liverpool, um, and now that uh, Fabinho is actually out injured for uh, up to two months, we're hearing um, uh, from after their midweek Champions League match. Um, how much does this hurt Liverpool's title challenge? I think it, I think we're just very lucky that uh, they've played a couple of seasons prior to Fabinho coming in with Henderson and, and Wayne Oldham playing back there, so it's it, it's going to hurt them a little bit creatively. I mean, he's got such a great chip pass on him. Um, that's that's not on the locker anymore. Put a bit of sauce on it. A bit of sauce. That's why they call him fishy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, what, what did uh, Klopp call him? Dyson, because he kept vacuuming up. But um, no, the uh, what a shake with that chip. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, it will, it will put put bluntly, it will have an impact on the team for sure. But I think we're going to see more of Cater and Oxide Champlain than maybe we thought. Maybe a bit of Adam Lalana as well. I th- yeah, Liverpool have definitely got the depth to fill spots in midfield. I'd honestly forgot about uh, Kater. Like, I, I, for a moment, so I was Klopp. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty fair. Um, boys, and just before we do move on, a um, quick word on Matty Ryan. Um, yeah, yes, he, he copped two goals, but gee, it could have been a lot more if it wasn't for his shot stopping. Yeah, he had a great game, and he got a big bit of a cuddle from Klopp at the end of the game as well, which was a picture that obviously went all around soccer Twitter in Australia. Do you mean Aaron Moy? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I thought that was John Joe Shelby. <laughs> Uh, all right, and Spurs continued winning ways under Mourinho um, despite a late scare um, as Harry Wilson pegged two back. Um, boys, uh, who was the bloke wearing the 20 for Spurs? Was it Deli? Deli Alley or Deli Alley's brother? Gee, looks a player in the Jose Mourinho. Oh, there um, he is. And um, I just want to say thanks to everybody who's uh, retweeted and liked my tweet. Um, it's got to 28 likes, which is a personal best. And, That's Jesse's um, most popular tweet ever. Jesse's, Jesse, are you getting nosebleeds from that, mate? Oh, I mean, it's, it's going to take a while to come down from cloud nine. I'll put JF that away. seventh heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the shirt's off and he's about to knee slide towards the corner flag after that <laughs> one. Uh, if anyone has, hasn't already, get around Jesse Farmer on uh, on Twitter. I, I think, going back to the game, that was 
Spurs. Been, like the Twitter game. I mean, there's, a, there's, only, <laughs> there's only 12 of you that have got around him, but, uh, you know, any more takers, I'm sure he'd gladly accept. How many of those accounts are just your burners, Jesse? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't liked my own tweet yet, but yet being the key word there. Any moment now. <laughs> um, I think the goals that both, particularly both of Delhi's goals, are the second one was so classy the way he brought it down and took a couple of touches and finished it off. But the first one, it was the same situation as that Alderweireld long ball that's pretty much straight up the middle. He doesn't have any direction on it, just goes straight through. But he hits it so well, like nine times out of ten. And it's something that he hasn't really done at the back end of Potch's reign was he used to be all about the diagonal and he's that's kind of dropped off out of his game a little bit but um it's like he wasn't allowed to play that ball or yeah. he wasn't confident enough to hit that ball but or just forgot he just forgot like left it at home like, <laughs> but like he's really pulled it out of his back pocket he playing did it PlayStation you, you just forget where the you forget where lob pass is you forgot where the button was yeah. <laughs> um uh, Colby just going on to the uh, the Bournemouth side of things um just to keep the Harry Potter theme I mean you're you're a wizard Ari. I mean, how, how good was Harry? No, how good come was, on, you're better than that. How, how, how good was Harry Wilson in this game? Oh, he was insane. He gave Bournemouth their first ever goal uh, away at Spurs. Um, and surprise, surprise, came from a set piece. Um, boys, do you reckon he can find a place in the Liverpool setup next year? Well, he scored more goals than Salah in the last Oy, he... couple of months. Ooh. But no, uh, he definitely has a role to play. He can what, play. Salah or... <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely think Wilson has a role to play coming back into that Liverpool squad just as more depth because like you see with this season if they're going to have play another 70 games again next year they're going to need you know depth in positions on the wings they've got Shakiri who seems I don't know is who? is he on holiday or like he's not around Shakiri Shakiri <laughs> yeah, never heard of him the power cube uh, just one thing I'd say on Spurs Colby um uh, and I'll put it out to everyone here. I mean, I feel, you know, obviously we're all getting uh, caught up in the, the hype, the narrative even. Love that word. Um, but uh, I think that, you know, have they played against a team that just shuts up shop and uh, closes like a clam yet? I, I don't know if they have. So um, I'm going to reserve my judgment until the next few fixtures, which are, I think Man United's one of them. Uh, yeah, and they've got Bayern in the Champions League as well. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they have a few fixtures coming up that are going to test them. So I think we will see because – and even against uh, the opposition that they've currently played, yeah, they've conceded goals. Um, they, they've got just one clean sheet. Um, query when we're going to see some of that Mourinho defensive um, solidity. Um, you know, big, big Suzoko just clogging up the midfield, causing uh, chaos in the box. Turned into a goal scorer. He looks a player under Mourinho. <laughs> If there was ever a player that was going to flourish under Jose, it's got to be Suzoko. Big, tall, strong, physical guy who can just like, yeah, cause chaos in the box. And, and that's what he did. And with, with a lovely a, improvised finish. a finished. brilliant finish, yeah. by the way. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, West Ham also kept a rare clean sheet. Um, and it came... Good recovery this time. Obviously, uh, the listeners at home, Colby, last time yesterday said that that was West Ham's first clean sheet of the year. Just so finally he's put some respect on the uh, the claret and blue from East London. Thank yeah, you. right. They're d- defensively solid, Tommy, they are. <laughs> um, but it, did, it came away uh, against Chelsea um, with their third-choice goalkeeper, David Martin, who I think might be their second-choice goalkeeper now, just quietly. Um, Tommy, you've already mentioned um, Martin, um, and he, he featured in West Ham's slightly changed lineup along with um, Antonio starting up front. Uh, Tommy, uh, is this credit to Pellegrini for the win here, for the uh, for the mix-up, the change-up? <laughs> <laughs> um, look, there was uh, probably one. Of, I think one of the key changes, uh, besides maybe David Martin, was um, dropping a layer because 
Alaire, obviously, he's, he's fantastic at holding up the ball, but um, he doesn't have the same mobi- mobility that um, Antonio does. And Antonio really sort of put himself about and, and made a menace of himself, putting the um, the, the uh, Chelsea players and, and defenders under pressure. And, and I think that um, that rattled them a little bit, um, but it was it, it really sort of gave uh, West Ham something a little bit different up front that um, with that extra mobility has been missing so far this season um, with a little bit of pace in behind and obviously Antonio is such a powerful player. So I, I think that was the big um, the big difference for West Ham on the day. Do you think um, David Martin's up there with Chris Martin as one of the most famous Martins? And if so, um, you know, Martin, Chris Martin knows a, a thing or two about key changes. <laughs> um, but I think also, do you think in the dressing room he said to the boys, I will try to fix you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got West Ham in paradise, boys. <laughs> That was a cold play. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. It was a rush of blood to the head. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Just in straight in there like the speed of sound. <laughs> anyway, listeners, if you're still with us. Uh, and, boys, um, friend of the pod, Biggers, uh, reckons no Tammy, no Chelsea. Has he got a point? Yes. Damon? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is good from you. I think You're no, I just real think, pensive there, mate. I just think Chelsea looked horrible all over the park. I don't think it was anything to do with not having Tammy. They just they didn't look good at all. And it was West Ham kind of nullified anything they tried to do uh, through the midfield. West Ham were all over them the whole game. Chelsea, I think, have been due uh, a match where maybe they aren't able to perform at their their lofty standards that they've set them set for themselves this season. I think they ha- they have performed above expectations so far this season, but. Um, and, and I think everyone had sort of has taken that as a bit of a um, taken that a bit for granted so far, and has thought, oh well, this is just their level at the moment. But um, this this was a bit of a um, uh, sort of them coming sort of crashing back down to um, back down to ground, and so maybe it, it's not necessarily bad timing for Lampard. It might um, give him the ability to re- refocus the squad and remind everyone, hey, there's still a lot of a lot of work to be done um, in terms of um, yeah putting in a, a really solid performance each week. So not necessarily a bad thing for Lampard, especially with the timing as well, coming up into the, that busy Christmas period. And I think they've had a lot of big games and big results over the last, like, maybe six weeks. This West Ham game, in for t- terms of Chelsea season, wasn't a huge game. But for West Ham, this was an enormous game. And they were up for it much more than Chelsea were. And you could just tell by the intensity – Chelsea have relied a lot on the way they press and the way they run, and they just weren't they just weren't the same. And West Ham were all over it. And, and Giroud didn't have a, a particularly good game as well. Like um, uh, Ogbonna and Balbuena both had had pretty good games and, and didn't really give Giroud much of a, an opportunity to, um, to to do what he does best. And it meant that Mason Mount wasn't sort of getting that same sort of service that he that he tends to and, and playing wall passes off of Tammy Abraham. Um, they missed Abraham's pace a lot as well and, and power and, and just meant that things weren't quite clicking for them. They had to play in a slightly different way to how they maybe otherwise normally would and just a tricky game, I guess, for Chelsea and um, West Ham turned up and Chelsea kind of didn't quite. A strange selection, uh, Culps with uh, Giroud um, coming in instead of Batshuayi, which obviously um, impact, he had a mare too. Impacted, surely, impacted surely my fantasy draft team. Um, it's a bit of a shame, um, but uh, I, I thought I thought this was the game that was made for Michi. Made for Michi, indeed, uh, boys. There were were a couple of games uh, overnight on um, on Monday um, that we that we can just quickly whip around. Um, Wolves uh, held Sheffield to a one-all draw, and you like the way I phrase that, Damo? 
I did. Put some respect on yeah, their Yeah, put a lot of respect on us. Uh, after Lise Mousset uh, opened the scoring in the second minute uh, before Doherty equalised in the second half. Um, Damo, uh, points dropped for Sheffield here? Mm, no, to be honest, I think it was probably a fair result. The last maybe 20, 25 minutes of the game, Sheffield United were backs against the wall really holding on. And to go away to Wolves and get a result is, you know, happy with that. Yeah, I, th- I thought Wolves just had to be on an off day today. Um, just didn't... didn't Calm. <laughs> I can't do it with a straight face. I'm sorry. Sorry, listeners. No, no, it's, it's funny. I was I was looking at it earlier today. The last three games Sheffield United have played have been uh, a draw away at Spurs, a draw home to Man United, and a draw away at Wolves. And I feel like we've deserved more than three points from those three games. And if you told me that 12 months ago, I would have told you you're a madman. So Sheffield United in a bit of a poor run of form at the moment, are they? Well, seven games undefeated, so... Call it what you will. Um, beat some poor teams, though, at the moment. So, geez, it's, it's not uh, not great times for everyone at Sheffield United, I guess. And, and just all those Game of Thrones fans out there, I've called this one the Winterfell Derby. Um, Wolves versus the Blades. Oh, uh, over, to you, over to you, Colts. Uh, and um, Arsenal are also undefeated uh, under their new manager or temporary manager, Freddie Jungberg. Um to the mighty Norwich City, newly promoted Norwich at home. Uh, it's a tough place to go. Um, thanks to two, thanks to goals uh, from uh, former fantasy sweethearts, uh, Timo Puki and Todd Cantwell. Um, boys, what did, what did you make of this one? It was a really underwhelming performance from Arsenal. I think you kind of expect when a new manager comes in, it gives everyone a bit of a kick and it really changed nothing. To be honest, they, they looked lacklustre again. I think they've just, honestly, they've just got a really poor squad at the moment. And... Lundberg's not going to be able to change anything, in my opinion. And uh, Leicester got the job done against Everton um, coming up 2-1 after going down early to a uh, Richarlison goal, uh, which opened the scoring for Everton. Uh, Leicester just just keep on doing it. Yeah, they just keep getting points. They're playing brilliant football as well. It's strange. One of us picked them to be in the top four this year. Who's Who that? that? Put some respect on my name. <laughs> oh, here he is. I, I did also put Everton up pretty high though as yeah. well. Yeah, so I, I, swings and roundabouts. So I could just picture Tommy at home um, doing his doing his prep uh, for the uh, the season re- preview and just with his dartboard. Just oh yeah. Is, is Moise oh. Ken still alive? By the way, <laughs> who Moise Ken? Exactly who? Isn't that Colby's boy? <laughs> I think it was my boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Moise Ken was definitely your boy. <laughs> Either way, I just know he wasn't my boy. So. Uh, and no one's boys, uh, Manchester United uh, were held 2 2 uh, to another newly promoted team, Aston Villa, who I've got to say looked bloody good in this game. And Jack Grealish, in particular, looked like he looked was really good running the show. Yeah, he's got a good haircut. I like, oh. the, lo- I like the low socks. <laughs> he's had a fresh fade, the low socks. I mean, he looked really cultured, really punchable. Cultured. <laughs> Um, but Villa, Villa are looking pretty good at home. Like uh, they can really take on anyone in, in the league. And, How did uh, they look at uh, Old Trafford? <laughs> and then away, <laughs> away they they started off the season looking pretty poor away, but they're they're growing into away fixtures. And so um, I think um, I actually predicted they would kind of struggle, but they're really growing into the season, uh, sort of in the in the, the opposite to how Norwich have have, have gone this season. Norwich will be back. They'll stay up. You heard it here first. I thought you meant like Norwich should be back like in two years' time. Yeah. The, <laughs> the yo-yo club. <laughs> uh, all right, boys. Coming up next, uh, match day five of the group stage of the Champions League. Milner takes. And in the end, Dejan Lovren has met it emphatically. And it's 1-1. It's been coming. Well, both clubs came here knowing a win would take them through. Neither have won. 
Yes, and it was also a big week in the Champions League midweek uh, with the second to last group stage match day. Uh, boys, there are three groups in particular I want to focus on um, that are all going down to the last match day to decide who goes through to the knockout stages. Uh, kicking off with Group E, uh, Napoli uh, held Liverpool to a draw at Anfield despite Liverpool looking dominant at home. Uh, Jesse, what should we read into Liverpool's uh, Champions League chances? Well, Napoli's become a bit of the, the foil for Liverpool. They've um, performed really well in the last few fixtures. And I, I think that my focus after having some time to digest it is just on their performance, particularly because they were sort of beleaguered uh, in the, the Italian results recently. They weren't really given a shout and they came over and did a really good job. A couple of pe- uh, moments, I mean, Mernon's finish was absolutely exquisite um, from a very tight angle when he played to the whistle. Um, Koulibaly was absolutely fantastic. We we talked about this off air about him being like two centre-backs, um, covering two centre-backs space. Um, yeah, it, and the full-back as well. Surely it's a matter of time before um, he gets snapped up by someone else. And I'm not saying any disrespect for Napoli because I think that's still a big club, but surely someone else is going to want him. They've put a big price tag on his name for a long time, Koulibaly. You know, they've, that's they've, probably why a couple of clubs haven't gone in for They've him talked well. about 80 to 100 million euros they need to prime away, so... And that's why he hasn't gone anywhere because there's been Chelsea, Liverpool, all these big English clubs and even Barcelona have been interested. Uh, well, Van Dijk has, has shown that if you get the right player into a team that if that's all that's missing, um, it can really complete the jigsaw puzzle though. Yes, and that result uh, leaves Group E with Liverpool on top at 10 points, Napoli uh, close behind on nine uh, and Salzburg on seven and Genk uh, just on one point. Uh, so Liverpool will go through if they draw or if Napoli lose to Genk. Uh, Napoli will go through uh, if they draw or if Salzburg um, don't beat Liverpool um, and Salzburg will only be through if they beat Liverpool and Napoli doesn't beat Genk. Uh, Can you say that again? I missed that. uh, No, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, boys, do we think Liverpool and Napoli are going through here? Yeah, I think so. I think it's pretty straightforward. Uh, And Chelsea grabbed a point on the road um, in uh, their Group H match against Valencia. Um, But it could have been a lot worse um, if Valencia had taken some of their chances, boys. Do you think Frank's recovered from the cross come shot of the (laughs) air? Chelsea have kept their hopes alive going through with that with that uh, result. So it comes down to the final day for them. And they, and they shouldn't have got a result in that one. No. I, I thought they, they were so, so right. lucky. Yeah, there was like, what, two tap-ins. There was a missed penalty or a save penalty by Kepa. Um, and, yeah, it, it probably should have finished, what, 5-2. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and Chelsea, yeah, should have conceded probably about five goals in this. Um, you know, Kepa, Kepa's been up and down, I think. Like, he's had some real shockers and he's had some amazing saves and amazing like sort of patches of games and periods of games. Um, but I mean, he's, he's not really been helped out by the, the guys in front of him either. And, and, and obviously um, Frank's playing a very open pressing style of football. What, what does he need to do to sort of fix this out without losing that sort of open play? Is it possible? I don't know. And I think obviously that Valencia game and then the one against West Ham, it, for me, it kind of looks like Chelsea are a little bit tired at the moment. They've been so high on emotionally and physically a lot of energy they've expended and it's coming to a point of the year where they've got a lot of fixtures and they I don't know if they can keep up that pace that they've been able to keep at the start of the season. And, you know, Frank's obviously a, a master motivator. He did well at Derby and he's doing well at Chelsea, but it's I guess it's 
finding the fine line of trying to keep everyone at this this level all year so motivated, it's quite difficult. And he hasn't actually rotated his squad that much either, which is a huge factor. It's a great point because I, I don't I think that he's going to have to do a bit of a horses for courses thing uh, in the next couple of months because he has kind of stuck to the same team, uh, particularly in the midfield. You know. Uh, <laughs> Where they're getting uh, exposed a little bit is the centre-backs is just getting around the midfielders too easily. And obviously Kante can do such a good job sweeping. Um, but, I mean, I'll be interested to hear uh, George's thoughts on this because, I mean, he is going to have to rotate more in the coming months. It's inevitable with the amount of fixtures coming up. And do they have that depth in quality? Uh, so that result sees uh, Chelsea level with Valencia on eight points, both in second place in the group behind Ajax uh, on 10 points and Lille on one. So Ajax will go through if they draw or if Chelsea um, don't beat Lille. Uh, Valencia will go through if they beat uh, Ajax or so long as they finish at least level on points with Chelsea given the head-to-head. Um, and Chelsea will go through if they beat Lille or if they draw and uh, Valencia lose to Ajax. So who's going through, boys, uh, Valencia or Chelsea behind Ajax? I think Valencia. I think they'll get the job done against Ajax and uh, Chelsea will uh, stumble at Lille. I think, yeah. No, mate, sorry, totally disagree with you. I think Chelsea are going to get the business done and, and I think uh, Ajax will still still put out a decent team and, and still get a result, possibly just spoil the party and get a, uh, a, a draw maybe at home. Inter's hopes of progressing look to be dashed when Slavia Prague equalised from the penalty spot just before half-time. Um, but cometh the hour, cometh Big Rom and Lautaro Martinez. Uh, are you referring to World Cup Lukaku? He might be back, boys. Is he? Lukaku? He, he's immense. Like he, he showed uh, all, all of that quality that's got him over 250 goals now at, at senior level uh, for Belgium. And so you're going to say 250 kilos there. <laughs> <laughs> he's still only young. He's What, he's only 25 he's or 26? I think, no, he's younger. I think he's 24, he's isn't he? Well, he's been playing professional football since he was like 16. <laughs> so he's been around for a long time. He's been bigger than most people are, like at the biggest <laughs> point of their life when he was 16. Tommy, can you stop fat shaming Lukaku, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'll say sorry to Lukaku for that. Um, <laughs> if I'm he's at, listening. <laughs> yeah, if he's listening. Uh, Lukaku, well, if you're listening. Obviously, yes. Cool. Uh, I'm, I'm actually uh, – I'd love to hear uh, Andy's thoughts on this, actually. Um, what a what a combination that's brewing up front there with Martinez. Um, the, the old big man, little man, uh, which is always a, a – That's our favourite combination on Favourite combination podcast. on the pod. I mean – you don't see much of it these days, but it's very exciting to watch because you feel like regardless of what's happening behind them, um, that the two of them can just pull a goal out of nowhere. Yes, and in Group Group F after this match, um, Inter on seven points, um, Dortmund on seven points behind uh, the leaders Barcelona who were through on 11 points um, and Slavia Prague rounding out the group on two points. Um, so, boys, Inter will go through if they beat Barcelona, which given that Barca are through, you'd expect might be a B team, um, or so long as they finish at least level on points with Dortmund due to Inter's superior head-to-head. Um, and for Dortmund to go through, they've got to pick up um, more points than Inter to finish second, basically. So, boys, who do we think are going through? Can uh, Inter get the job done against Barca B or are Dortmund going to go through? I think Barca are going to put out a, um, a B team for this one because uh, they, they ended up playing Atleti overnight and, and got the three points there, which means they're level on points with Real Madrid in, in the Spanish league. So um, Valverde has, has demonstrated that he, he really does like to um, give not necessarily priority to, to La Liga, but he, he, he makes sure that he always puts out a good team there. So, um, yeah, I, I think um, uh, Inter are a good chance. 
All right, and the final match day of the group stage of the Champions League will be on the 11th and 12th of December, uh, Australian time, and uh, we'll, of course, be covering it here on the pod. And that's going to do it for us today, boys. Uh, Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, You can also leave us a voicemail on Anchor. You could be the very first one. We say this every week, but send us a voicemail uh, to anchor.fm slash more than a game slash message. Or slide into our emails at mtagpodcast at gmail.com. More Than A Game is also on Twitter and Facebook. Find us at More Than A Game Podcast on Facebook or at MTAG Podcast on Twitter. Next week, double game week in the Premier League and round nine of the A-League. In the meantime, enjoy the football. <laughs>